Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Schedules have been horribly disrupted this year, and time has been lost with friends and with family. Work has been disrupted, and business has been lost. Jobs have been lost. Ministry has been disrupted. The average church has lost 20 to 30% of its people. Relationships have been disrupted. You've lost friends. You've lost friends over politics and over elections and over policies like mask versus no mask and now vaccine versus no vaccine. Freedoms have been lost, rights, privileges. The very fabric of how we have lived life has changed. And much has been lost, including lives of loved ones and friends. You know, I I don't always handle loss well. I don't handle disruption well. I don't always handle change well. And my guess is that you don't either. At times, we can get very frustrated and very angry, bitter and blame. We can get very depressed, very discouraged, very, very melancholy. We can be exasperated, just want to call it quits, give up, turn away, walk away. Maybe start fearing, what's next? What's coming down the pike? The other shoe's going to fall, I just know it. We've got to be careful of the responses of a disrupted life as well, a loss in our life. And today we're going to learn how to do that, and I, I don't want to oversimplify it. That's not what I want to do, but I do want to give hope. And as I teach today, I don't want to downplay some of your loss because some of you have struggled deeply and lost a lot. I I want to empathize. But I also don't want to coddle. I don't want to encourage self-pity because for some of us, it's about time we move on. And it's about time we understand we, we need to trust God and move forward. But I also don't want to play the comparison game. Well, who lost more and who had it worse because we would all lose out to one guy. One guy who has lost like we will never lose in this world and in this life. And he has a lot to teach us if we're willing to listen and listen carefully. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Job, not Job. Turn to the book of Job, spelled the same. And you may say, well, where in the world is Job? Job, okay. Where's Job? You go right in the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms and head left, you'll hit Job. It's right there. So just go right in the middle of your Bible Psalms and go left to the book of Job. And this is a rich narrative of deep personal suffering and loss. And we're going to condense 42 chapters into one message because God is a God of miracles (laughs) and he can do it. What we're gonna do is we're gonna front load this message with a lot of context and heavy text and verses because we need to understand where we're going with everything. And the points will successively get shorter as we go along. I just want you to be blessed with this man's life. I just want you to be encouraged. I just wanna open up God's word and I just want you to richly take it in. And there's so many lessons to learn. And so, so let's begin this first message in the Life Disrupted series, when loss is overwhelming. 
Now, to understand Job's overwhelming loss, we must understand Job's incredible and abundant blessings. So, in the book of Job, chapter 1, read the first five verses with me, and we'll see his blessings. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. That man was blameless. Look how godly this guy is. Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. Seven sons were, and three daughters were born to him, and his possessions, this dude is rich. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants, and the man was the greatest of all the men in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they'd send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it came about when the days of feasting had completed their cycle that Job would send and consecrate them. Rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And, and for Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned, cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did continually and continually and continually. This guy's blessed. What is he blessed with? He's blessed with one big, beautiful family. He's got 10 kids. He's blessed with a tight-knit family. These are the poster kids for National Sibling Day. Right here, people. And they really liked each other. They really liked getting along with each other. They loved each other. If you're here with a brother or sister, lean over and look at them and tell them, I love you. Go ahead and just do that right now, okay? Anyway, he's, they're blessed with a loving, caring father. He, he wakes up early, consecrates, intercedes. He does it continue. He's an incredible spiritual man, incredible spiritual father, incredible spiritual leader. And, and he's blessed with incredible wealth. He's got all kinds of livestock like no one else has in that day. And this is the bank account of the people 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. Understand. And this is not including all of the lands and all of the field that would be required for all of this livestock. One estimate is that, is that he would need 5,000 acres for just his animals and 10,000 acres for his crops. Now, that's 15,000 acres. The village of Oswego, okay, is 9,000 acres. The village of Montgomery, locally speaking here, is 6,000. That's 15,000 acres. So basically, he owns the village of Oswego and the village of Montgomery, and we all work for him. Because that's how many servants he would need to work the land, to work his animals, to work his home. I want you to get this. And by the way, he's blessed with fame. Look at verse 3. He's the greatest of all men in the east. Not just an area, but an entire region of nations. It would be like saying he's one of the greatest men in the United States of America. He is Mr. Amazon Prime. Jeff Bezos. He is Mr. Tesla. Okay, Elon Musk. That's how famous and wealthy this guy is. And then the bottom falls out. And he loses everything. And I'm not kidding. Look what he loses in verse 13 of chapter 1. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them, and they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he's still speaking, another also comes in and says, the fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep, the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he's still speaking, another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, took them, slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And then we read this. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. 
and I alone have escaped to tell you. Enemies attack from the south, natural disaster falls. Enemies attack from the northeast, natural disaster falls. He has lost everything, all at once and without warning. Warring nations invade, financial devastation, everything he has worked for has been destroyed or stolen. Mass murder, the death of all of his servants, all of his employees, and then natural disaster results in the death of all 10 of his children. The children he's been praying for. The children he's been continually interceding for before God. How can you handle this? How can you handle loss in your life? How can you handle disruption in your life? How in the world can this guy possibly live after this? That's what he's about to teach us. And the first thing he teaches me and you is this. Perspective grounds us. When loss is overwhelming, perspective grounds It keeps me stable having the right perspective on life. It, it just, it keeps clarity. It brings clarity to my mind where confusion wants to take over. Job's response, we see his perspective. Verse 20, he gets all of this horrendous news. He arises, he rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, falls to the ground, and he worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job didn't sin, nor did he blame God. Five different perspectives that we see. The first one is this, his perspective on pain. I want you to notice how honest he is. He doesn't put on a fake smile, and he doesn't say, well, it's going to be okay. No, he fully expresses his profound grief, and he tears his clothing, a sign of inward anguish, and he shaves his head as the glory is, the humiliation is overbearing, and, and he falls to the ground. He is a broken and undone man. And this man of deep, horrendous grief is also a man of deep, deep love for his God because he's teaching us that deep grief and deep love are not mutually exclusive. And sometimes our deepest pain results in our deepest moments of worship. Sometimes it's the depth of pain and anguish that draws us closer to God than we have ever been in years. And like a flower, that has been crushed underfoot, and it just releases the most potent, fragrant, fragrant perfume. Job has been crushed. His soul is crushed. His heart is crushed. And the sweetness of that aroma of worship just rises to his God, in a sense. He gives us a perspective on suffering, not just pain. You know what he teaches us about suffering? Godly people suffer. See, the health wealth gospel is a lie. Don't you dare fall for that. God wants you healthy and wealthy, and if you only have enough faith, he'll bless you with all the health and wealth. That's a lie. God, God at times wants us humbled and broken and dependent on him. Please understand that, whether you have much or little. And God, godly people are not immune to suffering. There's no vaccine in this world against suffering, people. 
This is a broken world, and we will experience brokenness in this world. And Job is experiencing brokenness, and Job is experiencing suffering, and Job is godly. We've already read how godly he is, and and God even says he's even more godly than what we read in verse 1 of Job 1. In verse 8 of Job 1, he tells Satan, God has this conversation with the angel, Satan, the fallen angel. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. So God even adds, this is a special servant of mine. And he is the most godly man on the face of the planet. And then he points out what we've already seen. He's blameless, meaning Job, how godly is he? He's morally upright. He's not sinless. But there's no glaring sin or fault in his life that people can point to. He is a man of highest integrity. And we're told he's upright, meaning he doesn't deviate from God's standards or God's word. He's a man of the word of God. He fears God, meaning he acknowledges God with deep reverence and respect, and he submits to God in his life. And we're told he turns away from evil. He rejects anything opposite from the character of God. Be like Job. And as God brags on Job before Satan, may you start living a life that God could brag to the angels about. And say, hey, do you see him? He's my special servant on this earth. He's upright. Do you see her? Do you see how she lives? What she does? And how she loves me? There's no one like her on the earth. Start living in a way that God would brag to you. Well, what do I need to do? Be a servant. See, would you be considered a servant of God? Honestly, well, Pastor Scott, I'm not in ministry. Neither was this guy. He was an incredibly successful businessman in the secular realm of the world. And he was a man of God more than anybody else. Start being a servant of God no matter what you do on this planet. Be known as a servant of God first and foremost. Be blameless. Be a person of high moral integrity. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't cut corners at work. See, see, be upright. Don't deviate from the word of God. Know the word of God. Live out the word of God. Be, be a person that fears God. Not, not living in the fear of men, but fearing God with deep reverence and deep respect and submission and obedience to him. And, and turn away from evil. Reject anything that is opposite from the character of God in your life. Don't make excuses for any little sins or big sins. Here's a few examples of how godly he is. He cared for people in Job 29. Uh, He cares for the poor and the orphans and widows and blind and lame and needy. You know what? Start caring for people, not just yourself. That's what we need to do. He's fair and honest with his employees. In Job 31, 13, and 14, we read about how fair and honest he is. Be fair and honest with the people that work with you and the work around you. We read about how sexually pure he is in Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes, he says. How could I gaze at a virgin? He controls his life. He controls his eyes. He will not let his eyes wander around to beautiful young women and, and, and gaze upon them and undress them in his mind. He doesn't do that. He's a man of God. I want you to understand his perspective on pain. 
his perspective on suffering. Next, his perspective on life. He's just lost everything, and this is his response. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll return there. What is he talking about? He said, I came into this world with what? Nothing. And guess what? I'm going to lose this world with what? And the same is true for you. So this should be able to be said of you, or I should be able to say this, and so should you. I can lose everything because I'm going to lose everything. Do you understand that? You can lose everything. It's okay. Because you're going to lose everything. You do understand that, right? Everything is gone. Everything in this life, you're going to lose it. Prepare to lose it. By the way, please teach your children this. Please teach them that. We don't take anything with us. We lose everything. All of it. It's only a matter of time. Your home, you're going to lose it. All the work you've done in your home and every, it's gone. You do understand that. Your second home, some of you, you're going to lose that too. And that car, put all that money into it, you're going to lose it. And those golf clubs, and those clothes, you just don't lose them right now. You're going to lose them, people. And that diamond ring and all that jewelry, ladies, that you love so much, you're going to lose it all. And that big bank account, everything you put in, every penny, you're going to kiss it goodbye. Every cent, you're going to lose it. Family heirlooms, you're going to lose them. You know, I want you to understand, I've stood by hundreds of caskets in 26 years of ministry. I, I, I have, um, I've escorted hundreds of bodies to the cemetery and done graveside services for, and I have never seen so much as a carry-on on a corpse. You're not taking anything with you, and neither am I. We can lose it all. It's okay, because we're going to lose it all. Perspective next on God's sovereignty. He is so focused on the Lord. Look at verse 21. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of who? The Lord. God is in control. He gives things by his sovereignty. He takes things away in his sovereignty. He is sovereign in control. He gives, he takes away. He's got the whole world in his hands. Listen, he got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's in control. Now, what Job doesn't see is the, the depth of the sovereignty, the behind-the-scenes conversation that is going on with Satan. In verse 6 of chapter 1, there's a day when the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came. Satan is the highest, most, most gifted, most beautiful, created angel and being ever made. The covering chair before the throne of God, privileged and gifted like none other. And he's filled with this rotten pride, this, this seething, spiteful arrogance that he wants to be his own God. And the Lord says to him, for where do you come? Satan said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. Blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. See, God brings Job's, names, Job's name up to Satan. God initiates the conversation about Job. And then there's a second conversation with Satan that God has after Job loses all of his possessions, after Job loses all of his children. The second conversation is in Job chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord says to Satan again, have you considered my servant Job? And again, he repeats it. No one like him on earth, blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away. But then he adds, and he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. See, Job doesn't realize he's on display for a watching angelic world. 
He doesn't realize it. And, and, and they're all watching him. What is this about? To see if a man with free will can lose everything he loves in this world and still worship his God and still trust his God and still love his God. See, you don't realize you're on display for a watching world. In the midst of our pain, we don't think that way. Loved ones, friends, family are watching us. An angelic world is watching us. How will you respond? Will you still worship God? Will you still trust God? Will you still love your God? And then he gives us a perspective on God's glory. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. So he blesses God. And he does not blame God. He does not curse God. He does not sin against God. So when loss is overwhelming, perspective grounds me. It grounds you. Acceptance calms us. It's the next thing we learn. To accept whatever happens as from God, whether it's good or bad. And you may say, looking at the passage here, well, at least Job has his health. You know, because if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Well, he, uh, yeah, you know what happens. Remember that second conversation with Satan? We read in verse 3. He still holds fast his integrity, although you've incited him to, for me to, against him to ruin him without cause. And this was Satan's response in verse 4. He answered, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. The Lord's response to Satan. Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. When Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, he smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he's sitting among the ashes. I want you to understand how bad the physical condition that Job was now in. After he's lost all of his possessions, all of his money, all 10 of his children, he went to a funeral and buried all 10 of his children. Now he loses his health. And he is smitten all over his body with boils. What are boils? Boils are fluid-filled blisters. So from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head, he's just covered in blisters. And they break open, and they ooze pus, and they soak his clothing, and his clothing becomes encrusted, and it starts to smell, and he's itching and aching all over his body, and he has this piece of cut pottery that he's scraping and he's cutting himself and he's bleeding now and it's scabbing over. How bad is it? Job 7.5. My skin is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. So it's attracting insects and worms and dirt. I, I want to show you a picture of what he you probably look. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. His condition is so bad, this was the response of his friends in chapter 2.12. They lifted up their eyes at a distance and didn't recognize him. He's unrecognizable, the guy is so gross. They raised their voices and wept, and each of them tore his robe, and they threw dust on their heads toward this guy. His body is covered with oozing boils, including his entire face, and they don't recognize him. The greatest man is now the grossest man. That's what's become of Job. And his wife can't take anymore, and so what does she say? You're better off dead. Verse nine. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Look at you, hubby. 
Okay, okay, what are you doing? You still gonna worship God, Job? You still gonna say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Are you, you, gonna, you gonna just be there? I want you to understand. She says, you are better off dead. So he's got this physical pain, but now he's got this inner pain. And sometimes those closest to us can hurt us the deepest. And she's just stabbed his soul. What is Job's response? It's one of calmness. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, before we get too hard on Mrs. Job, we need to remember, she's suffering too. She just buried 10 of her babies. She's just lost all financial stability. She's just lost the husband, pretty much, that she's known and that she's loved. Be careful when suffering. And what do I mean by that? Sometimes our emotions can get in the way. Be careful when suffering not to let our emotions take the wheel. Um, Our emotions, Ryan Pannell said this, our emotions are like children. We listen to them, we care for them, we just don't allow them to make major decisions with our family. See, we don't want emotions to be in the driver's seat of our life. I love this illustration from my friend Ted Cunningham. You don't put emotions in the driver's seat because emotions will cause accidents in your life. You'll say things you shouldn't have said. You'll do things you shouldn't have done. You'll take wrong turns because you, you, you were just emotional and you felt like it. And it'll cause whiplash because your emotions change like this. You want to make sure Scripture is in the driver's seat, not in the passenger seat. You want scripture in the driver's seat because you want truth to dictate how you live your life, not emotions. And be careful of emotions in the back seat because they'll be yelling at you what you should be doing. And be careful of friends who get emotional on you, who want to grab the wheel on you. Be very, very careful. What does Job do? He's wise and not foolish. See, he says you're speaking like a foolish woman. Shall we not accept good from God and not, shall we accept good from God and not adversity? See, listen carefully. Foolish people can only accept what's good. They can only accept what's good from God. And what that does is it, it sets us up for anger and blame and self-pity. If you can only accept good from God, it opens us up to sin. Wise people say, You're God. You're all-knowing. You're in control. I can accept bad in this life, and I can accept good from you as well. So I want to encourage you to accept the bad as well as the good. And he didn't sin against God. It says he didn't sin with his lips in verse 10. And now it doesn't mean he didn't struggle with his life. We know he was grieving deeply. But it's as if Job was saying, God, your will be done. And I love how Elizabeth Elliot put it. To pray, thy will be done, I must be willing, if the answer requires it, that my will be what? Undone. That spiritual maturity is what that is. God, 
you can undo my will as long as your will be done. You know best. So when loss is overwhelming, perspective grounds us, acceptance calms us, confidence enables us is the next thing. It it helps us endure and keeps us trusting and not lose hope. And just briefly, we see three passages where we see Job's confidence. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. He's confident in life after death. You can write that down. He's confident in life after death. We see it in Job 19. As for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he'll take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh, I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. Job doesn't know anything about Easter Sunday. This is 2,000 years before Christ. He has never heard about an empty tomb, but yet he believes in the resurrection of himself. He doesn't have 1 Corinthians 15 with this brilliant teaching on, on the resurrection. But he knows, listen, when you know there's an afterlife, you can handle anything in this life. When you know there's an afterlife, you can handle anything in this life. Because this life is this short. And eternity is forever. And so stop worrying so much about this. And start getting your eyes on that. Because when you know there's an afterlife, you can handle anything in this life. He's confident next that God knows the truth. He's confident God knows the truth. In 23.10, he knows the way I take. When he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Everyone can accuse me of anything. Anyone can say anything they want. Anybody can can think the worst of me. Listen, God knows the truth. That's what he says. God knows the truth. I'm innocent. I haven't done anything to deserve any of these things, as his three friends will say later. So rest in an all-knowing God who knows the truth. And then next, he's confident of his innocence, even if God kills him. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, I'll hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. And I want you to focus on that last sentence. I will argue my ways before him. And he's going to argue that I am not guilty. I am not guilty. I am not guilty. And that's where something goes wrong. And now Job, sadly, is going to take a wrong turn in his life. Why? Because he let emotions take the wheel. And just as his wife was doing, now Job does. And we'll begin to hear his frustration come out. But before we go there, I want you to understand the context. His frustrations come out in the middle of his dialogue with his so-called three friends, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. Please don't name your children that, okay? And his friends came to encourage him. And all they do is discourage him. And it's 27 chapters of back and forth, confrontation, abrasive and accusational. And it just, it's, it's, they're getting Job all worked up and they're instigating him and they're rubbing salt in his wounds and they're accuse him. They accuse him of deserving everything he's lost. You deserve to lose your health. You deserve to lose your children. You deserve to lose those business, that business. They accuse him in Job 22.5 of great wickedness and iniquity without end. They will accuse him of stealing, oppressing, pride, impurity, taking advantage of people, turning a blind eye to the needy. All things God said, just the opposite. He said he turns away from evil. He's a man of God. He's like no one on the planet. He's, he's upright. He fears me. He's blameless. And they say just the opposite. And by the way, this is the one that really gets you. And by the way, Job, your sons deserve to die because they were sinners just like you. And I think they push him over the edge. And I think that's when he starts to get filled with this self-righteousness and shows his frustration 
not just with his friends, but with God himself. Listen to some of the things Job says. Job 9.20. Though I'm guiltless, he, that is God, will declare me guilty. That's not true, Job. God has said you're blameless. 9.23. He mocks the despair of the innocent. That's not true, Job. God has praised you as blameless to the angelic beings. He's not mocked you. Well, he sees me as the enemy. We see this in 1324. Why do you hide your face, God? Consider me your enemy? 1911. He's also kindled his anger against me and considered me his enemy. That's not true, Job. God has called you his servant. And it goes on and on and on, and he's bitter. Job 27, 2, as God lives, who's taken away my right. That's not true. And the Almighty, who's embittered my soul. He is a bitter, angry man. And now Job, who hadn't sinned with his lips, is sinning with his lips. The one who is trusting God is now finding fault with God. And he's reproving God. Not cursing God, but reproving God. Be careful. When you're suffering, when life is disrupted, when you're facing loss, that you don't put emotions in the driver's seat, but that you hold on to the truth of Scripture and the character of your God. When loss is overwhelming, silence helps us. You know what it helps us do when we keep silent? It helps us stop sinning against God. There's four chapters when God calls Job out, Job 38 through 41, and I'd encourage you to read those chapters. And what we learn is that it's better to silence oneself than have God silence us. It's better to silence ourselves than have God silence us. And God speaks in chapter 40, the Lord says to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. You found fault with me, Job? You're reproving me, Job? Verse 6, the Lord answers Job out of the storm and says, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you and you instruct me. Will you, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that, that you may be justified? And then God will give lesson after lesson after lesson, and he'll say, Job, have you considered the planets? Have you considered the stars and the weather and the animals and the birds and the creatures of the deep and storehouses of snow? Where were you, Job, when I did this? And, and do you know about this, Job, when I made that? And do you understand this, Job, since you know so much? And have you seen this, Job? No. 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 Job, I am the creator, all-knowing, all-powerful God. You are the creature. I am the creator. How dare you think you know more than me? And that's where we humans are even today. We think we're so smart. Then we can point a finger at our God, our creator. Humble yourself before God. Humble yourself before your creator. See, when God speaks, self-righteousness stops. And when God speaks, complaining stops. And some of you need to hear God speak today because you've been complaining way too much in this life. And it's time you stop. And some of you need to hear God speak today because you've been so self-righteous. And it needs to stop. Job replies, what does he say? He answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. That's the right answer. 
What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. God, I'm going to shut up from here on out. That's good advice. Once I've spoken, I will not answer even twice. I will add nothing more. I need to talk less and listen to God more. And those 27 chapters of dialogue with his friends was way too much. Here's some good reminders for Job and for me. Proverbs 10. Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. When you talk a lot, you sin more. Stop talking so much. He who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. So when loss is overwhelming, perspective grounds us and acceptance calms us and confidence enables us and silence helps us and repentance humbles us. Job gets it. Chapter 42. Therefore I've declared that which I don't understand. I am sorry, God. Things too wonderful for me which I do not know. I am sorry, God. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you, you instruct me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear and now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He says, I am sorry, God. And we learn an incredible lesson about suffering right here that we sin even in our suffering. We typically miss that because when we're suffering, we want comfort from people and encouragement and support and a listening ear and people to, to, to hear our story and how bad it is. The truth be told, we sin at times when we suffer. We have attitudes of self-righteousness and self-pity and anger and bitterness and blame and that may be true for some of us here today that you've been sinning in your suffering. And God doesn't excuse Job's sin. He confronts it. And you know, it's easy to make excuses and justify my sin or your sin when we're suffering. I'm going through so much right now, you don't really understand what I'm facing, and and I, I didn't mean to say that, and I didn't mean to act that way, but you did. You did say that to your husband. You did say that to your wife. You did say that to your parents. You did act that way towards your children. You did sin. And there's no excuse for it. And we shouldn't justify it. What we need to do is apologize and make it right. And then the last thing we learn is that when loss is is overwhelming, waiting restores us. Job needed to wait. And he needed to trust And it ends very well for Job, and it will end very well for you, and it will end very well for me. And if not in this life, it will in the next. And he has the restoration of friendships in Job 42. Came about after the Lord had spoken the words to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends. Now God's got to take it up with them. Because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job, offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Naamite went and did as the Lord told them, and and the Lord accepted Job. His friends repent and they make it right, and Job forgives his friends, and Job prays for his friends, which is another huge test for Job. 
Are you going to let go of the very painful, hurtful things they said about you? Are you going to hold on to that bitterness? You're going to hold on to your anger. Because if you hold on to it, you're going to stop God's blessing. And you're going to stop restoration. See, some of you have been holding on to anger and holding on to bitterness. And God is testing you to see if you're finally going to let it go and be able to pray for those people that hurt you and be able to forgive those people that hurt you. And that's when restoration starts. The restoration of his blessings. Look at Job 42.10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. When he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. And then the passage just goes on. He just restores everything. His family, his friends, all of his wealth. It, it doubles. And then at the end, this, Job lived for 140 years. Saw his sons, his grandsons, four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And as Proverbs 3 says, say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your, you're not gonna understand it all. Don't lean on your own understanding. He's God. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So he has the restoration of his friends and the restoration of his blessings and here's the most important restoration. The restoration with his God. I wanna encourage you to make sure you are fully restored with your relationship with God. That's most important. What have we learned? When loss is overwhelming, perspective grounds us, acceptance calms us, confidence enables us, silence helps us, repentance humbles us, and waiting restores us. My prayer is that you will find restoration with your God, whether it's the first time coming to faith in him or coming back to him. Come back to your God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You're here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus. I want you to understand how much you're loved and that he will forgive you and save you of all of your sin. Would you call out to him right now and just ask him to save you? Just use words like these, Lord, I need you. I don't understand this life, but I know I'm a sinner. Would you please forgive me of all my sin? I place my faith in you. And you alone. Thank you for dying on that cross. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.